The reading is, can be found on page 1146 in the uh, Church Bibles. Page 1146, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and the first 21 verses. 1 Corinthians 4, beginning to read at verse 1, page 1146. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, 
as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? This is God's word. Thank you, Eleanor, for reading to us, and John for leading our service today. It's good to be with you all uh, this evening, studying such a rich passage, and on the basis it's taken four sessions to get through 12 verses at the weekend away. We've got 21 tonight, so I hope you're uh, uh, feeling fresh. Before we turn to the passage, let's take a couple of minutes just to context today's teaching and the title, Under Authority Together. We have all different stories to tell of our journey to faith, but there's none more dramatic, I don't think, than the Apostle Paul who encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. Saul, as you know, was a brilliant Old Testament zealot, uh, but he persecuted the early church, and not just the church. On the road to Damascus, Jesus confronted him. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And the biggest stumbling block for me, too, was recognising the Lord's authority and submitting to Jesus, taking off my crown, bowing before him and being baptised, which was way back in 2002, nearly 20 years ago now. Not only do we have different stories to tell of our journey to faith, but we also have different stories to tell of our journey in faith. And for me, since 2002, I've been a member of Christ Church Bansted here, first under Paul Adams and now under Kevin Newman as our senior pastor, first as a member, then as a deacon, joining the oversight team, and now as an elder. And in that time, supporting Sancross Church in Rygate too, and the Deloitte Christian Fellowship at work. And you may reasonably ask, by what authority? And that is a question I ask myself too. So today's passage is timely and speaks to us all about authority. And I trust in answering the questions that you may have, that we will all acknowledge up front that it is Jesus who has all authority, as he makes clear to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. But still, don't we have questions about authority? Maybe you're asking, what is spiritual authority and how is that different from worldly authority? Is spiritual authority found only in Christ? What about the apostles? What about the Bible? What about pastors and teachers of God's word? How can we tell what is real spiritual authority or what is false and deception? And why, back to our title, is it so important to be under authority together? And how can we at Christ Church Banstead stay under authority together? As Tim Ward was speaking to us this weekend, being and remaining in the Christian life are key. So how can we be under authority together and remain under authority together? Well, the context for 1 Corinthians chapter 4, of course, is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And Paul, hearing of the jealousy and quarreling amongst uh, the Christians there, wrote to them. Let me just read 
uh, a few of the first verses, page 1145, if you want to flick back a page. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? And that sort of discussion and division and debate is not something that I'm aware is a feature of Christchurch Banstead, but let's be aware of this issue so that we can keep it that way. And as we dive into our passage, we're going to focus on spiritual authority in three parts. And the first, we're going to cover the nature of ministry in verses 1 to 6a. Secondly, the method of ministry that Paul speaks about in verses 6b to 14 A, and thirdly, the heart of ministry in the last part of the chapter. And then we'll end with application, checking that our key questions have been answered about being under authority together. And once we've got that, staying under authority together. But before we dive in, let me pray. Dear Lord Jesus, teach us more about yourself and search us too. Help us to listen and understand what and how we need to change. For in your name we pray. Amen. So turn back, please, with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, which is page 1146. And let's start with the nature of ministry, or maybe as I'd subtitle it, Servants and Stewards. Let me read again the first few verses. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. And so the us in verse 1, of course, is Paul and Apollos from chapter 3. And both of them in chapter 3, verse 5, if you flick back over the page, Paul describes as only servants through whom you came to believe. But as we've heard already, the sources of bickering and division in the Corinthian church as to who was better. Well, Paul answers the Corinthians insisting neither is better. And he underlines this in verse, uh, verse 7 by saying it's only God who makes things grow. And... In chapter 4 now, Paul aligns himself fully with Apollos, again, referencing the us again, in that they are both servants of Christ, entrusted with the gospel for the Gentiles. So two points, really. As stewards of the gospel, trusted with God's salvation message, they needed to be faithful. As Paul says here in verse 2, it's a requirement of those entrusted that they prove faithful. So what a responsibility it is to teach from God's word and to proclaim Christ. And secondly, in this 
opening section, Paul highlights that it's not for church members to judge the servants, only their Lord will judge in verse 4. It is the Lord who judges Paul and judges all of us. And neither is it the job of uh, the church members to make snap judgments as they seem to be doing in verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. But like the Corinthians, oh, how slowly we learn. We want to be in control of everything and we want to sort of have a view and an opinion of everything and to judge before the appointed time. But if we're not to do that, if we're not to judge, then how do we know what is true and how do we trust the teacher? Well, Paul again graciously upholds Apollo, Apollos in verse 6a. Just look down at it. And so you may learn from us. Paul is uh, speaking of himself and Apollos together, confirming that he too was faithful to what is written. Learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. And in other words, Old Testament scripture. And don't forget that Paul and Apollos didn't have the New Testament. So although it's often said that Christ is concealed in the Old Testament, he clearly is revealed to Paul and Apollos as they were both proclaiming Christ from what was written and what they had seen and heard, as Paul also did in Damascus, confounding the teachers of the law by proving from the Old Testament that Jesus was and is the Messiah. And so how should we regard the different sources of spiritual authority, the Word of God, the Apostle Paul and the teacher Apollos? Does it matter? Well, yes, it does, because some claim to be apostles still these days, but that is false. The true apostles heard directly from Jesus, the 11 disciples and Paul as well, responsible for almost the whole of the New Testament writings, directly and indirectly, guided by Jesus and his spirit to complete the Bible, as John confirms in Revelation. The Bible itself, fully complete, sufficient, and nothing more and nothing less do we need, uh, apart from the word of God. And Apollos, therefore, derived his spiritual authority from the word of God and from being faithful in proclaiming it, as do all true teachers of God's word today. And that's how to tell what is true and whether or not to trust the teacher. And so by putting ourselves as members of Christ Church here at Christ Church Bansted under that same word and ministry means that we are all under authority together. And the value, I think, of that spiritual authority and putting ourselves under it is priceless. As Jesus makes clear in Matthew chapter 8, verses 8 to 10, remember the story of the centurion whose servant is sick. He understands worldly authority. He says to Jesus, For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. But the centurion brings himself under spiritual authority of Christ's word. He calls Jesus Lord when he answers, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus acknowledged that and acknowledged the centurion's faith. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. So don't make the mistake of putting yourself 
under worldly authority that leads to destruction. Have faith and put yourself under true spiritual authority of the word. Moving on, let's look at the next section now about how Paul teaches and his method of ministry. And if you want a subtitle for this section, it's his warnings and examples to the members of the Corinthian church and to us too. And remember, the Corinthians were totally confused as to the difference between, it seems, worldly and spiritual authority. So Paul's having to first put them straight on the value and authority of Apollos' ministry versus his own. And now he needs to show them what and how they need to change. And change is tough, isn't it, for arrogant and stubborn people like me and like the Corinthians. And so Paul doesn't mince his words. From 6b, it's two half verses and seven full verses of rebuke, full of irony for the Corinthians. Let me read them again. And then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you had really begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Like those condemned to die in the arena, we've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels, as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured and we are dishonoured. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags and we are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, though we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you. And Paul knows that this is a tough message and that changing is tough. But the last thing he wants, look down in verse 21, is to discipline them. He's already rebuked them sternly in this letter and now he wants the Holy Spirit of God, which is Christ in you and me. Sorry, I think I flicked a page by mistake. Let me go back. So after reading that there, in 14a, just at the end of what I read, Paul makes clear he's not shaming them, but warning them. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you. And starting in verses 6b and 7, with a great leveller for the church, rebuking the members for appointing themselves, first as judges of men, and then as followers of men. And... Paul says to them, you were lost without the gospel. You were all given the gospel by me and Apollos. So how is it you're suddenly puffed up with pride in yourselves? And then in verse 8 and onwards, Paul puts himself up as an example, comparing their attitude and status to his own as an apostle, which in verse 18 we see his own status was as scum of the earth and as garbage of the world. Paul says to the Corinthians, well, you're living it up, but we're suffering for the gospel. And Paul starts by contrasting 
the Corinthian kings with the apostles as being condemned in verses 8 and 9a and tells them, you're dressed in Christ's rich robe, but do you think that's it? As if the Corinthians just thought that was it. Paul tells them, you're saved, but you're not serving. You're saved, but you're not sharing the gospel. And he goes on emphasizing these contrasts, the wise versus the foolish, the weak versus the strong, the honored versus the dishonored. But then he comes to the big point. No matter all this foolishness, all this weakness, all this dishonor, all this condemnation, because Paul knows it's all for Christ and it produces fruit, and fruit of hard work and blessings versus curses, endurance versus persecution and kind answers in the face of slander. And there's echoes of Galatians 5 in this chapter where in verses 22 and 23, Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And we've heard some of that too, haven't we, in the Beatitudes this weekend. And so having similarly warned the Corinthians that those who submitted to worldly desires and, and the Galatians would not inherit the kingdom of God, the Corinthians had a different problem there, pride and arrogance um, in the face of authority, but it was just as destructive if they didn't change. And so through these warnings and through these examples, Paul encourages the Corinthians to change their heart attitudes. And then finally we turn to the heart of ministry. And if I subtitle this, then I would call it Paul's love and encouragement for the Corinthians, another mark of his authority. He speaks to the Corinthians, firstly in 14, verse 14, second half of verse 14, as my dear children. So Paul is speaking to them as a father, which will have resonated as well, because Caesar was also known as the father of Corinth. So this was a resonated for the Corinthians. But Paul is speaking, of course, of spiritual fatherhood, having brought the Corinthians into new life as they were born again through hearing and responding to the gospel of Christ. So his care and concern really was personal, not like um, the experience of the butlers and maids and guardians uh, amongst the Corinthian church for their masters. They didn't have much care or concern for them, but Paul had the care and concern of a spiritual father. And he urges them again in verse 16 to follow his example, which is trustworthy and faithful and completely selfless. Let me read. Uh, Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. And back again in its proper place. Now, Paul knows that this is a tough message and that changing is tough. But the last thing he wants, as we can see from the end of the passage, is to have to discipline them. Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? He's, also, he's already rebuked them in this letter and now he wants the Holy Spirit of God, which is Christ in the Corinthians and in you and me, to be at work. And so he also sends Timothy to them with the letter. But you might be asking, well, how would Timothy help? 
on a couple of points. First of all, he is a son too, and if we read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, we can see that. Paul writes to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so Timothy was trusting in God's word for all wisdom, and he was a faithful servant of Christ, also entrusted with the gospel. So Paul tells the Corinthians, that Timothy, too, will model Jesus Christ, just as Paul himself had done, confirming the truth and encouraging the Corinthians to change and to become like Christ. And that will demonstrate not just the words of the gospel, but the power of the gospel, as it says in verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And my wife and family would tell you that I'm not particularly empathetic and maybe this is an area you find hard too but take encouragement from the Lord and ask him to fill you with compassion the Christchurch Banstead family is full of love for each other we and you practice this well we learned it from Paul and Felicity and even more so now from Kevin and Fran over the past six years modeling Christ as they serve us and share the gospel so faithfully with us here at Christchurch Banstead And so having been through the passage, maybe we can draw some conclusions. I hope you've had your questions answered. I hope we understand how spiritual authority is different from world authority. I hope we understand that spiritual authority is found in Christ and in the apostles, all contained in the word of God, and in faithful pastors and teachers who follow that word and teach faithfully from it and are trustworthy with the word. And so with the word we can test what is real spiritual authority and what is false or deception. And we know why too that it's important to be under authority together as we minister to each other and how we can stay under authority together, loving, encouraging and maturing in Christ. And then finally, what about application? And maybe the Lord has challenged you in what to apply from his word as it's been read tonight. Are you under spiritual authority or are you still battling with submission, clinging on to your own crown, following your own ways, being your own judge? Well, if you are, start trusting Jesus and his word and living by it daily. Secondly, maybe you're accepting of, or maybe you're questioning whether you are accepting of. Am I accepting of pastoral Authority, teaching from the word of God here on a Sunday and midweek, week after week, by those servants of Christ who are entrusted with proclaiming his gospel. Do we do that without judging or grumbling, rather listening and learning and loving it? And thirdly, maybe you realize I'm a bit like the Corinthians, puffed up with big ideas about this teacher or that teacher and that passage or this passage. Well, stop it. Go back to the Bible. Only God saves us. Paul makes clear here. So if we're proud and arrogant, that's hot air. We're not under true spiritual authority. So I'd suggest that if if that's you, you need to humble yourself now and get back under spiritual authority. And fourthly, it's true. The passage speaks of the apostles as the ones humiliated, condemned, foolish, 
weak and dishonoured. But that is suffering for the sake of the gospel, which bears fruit, as Paul makes clear here. Shouldn't we all be servants of the gospel and sharing it, whether we're a preacher or a ministry leader or any Christian here today? And that is one of the marks, as we heard in the Beatitudes, of being a Christian, suffering for the sake of the gospel. And finally then, do we have a heart for ministry? Do we recognise the love and especially the suffering of our leaders, spiritual love that encourages and rebukes? And do we model our Christian lives on those people, especially people like John and Kevin, the oversight team members and the staff team? We have so much to thank them for, don't we? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Dear Father God, we thank you for teaching us what it is to be under authority together. And as we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, so we pray that you would hold us firm as faithful servants of your word, overflowing with a desire to share your gospel, which is the hope of glory. Amen.